The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This. Your faithful American Muslim patriot here week to week to bridge that divide between the Islamic world, the Islamist mentality, and the West, the land of freedom, the land of liberty, the land that I believe has the solution to radical Islam and the root cause, which is political Islam in need of reform, the end of the idea of the Islamic State. Every week we try to find different front lines, different battlefronts that are uh, demonstrative of the battles that we fight against the jihadists, not only the militant ones, but the non-militant, the non-violent, the underbelly of the ideology that threatens the world, that has a ripe constituency of 1.6 billion people, which is all of the followers of the faith that I practice. While most are not Islamists, A significant number are, and the Islamists are winning. You know, we've talked before about the the depth of the battle within the cultural divide that exists and how it's not always just in the mosques, it's not always just in the sermons, in the Islamic schools, but sometimes subliminally in the culture. Sometimes subliminally in the in the media, in the televisions, in the programming of movies and storylines that we see a battle to tell Muslims that they are victims, to tell Muslims that they are in a battle against non-Muslims, against Christians, against Jews. And this week, there's a story that came out about Marvel Comics, an artist that works for Marvel Comics, that was just doing his regular work behind the scenes, no different than some of those that work at Facebook or at Twitter, as we know that some of the Islamist influence what's selected in the, in the background. Well, in this one, there was an artist who wasn't all that shy about what he was doing, but it has become a major story, and a story that uh, Knighton wrote about at uh, PJ Media. Hats off to him for revealing this about this artist, Ardian C.F. 
our DNCF, an Indonesian who sort of epitomized some of the struggle that the probably what's considered one of the more moderate Muslim countries that has recently been dealing with significant setback with the Islamists that are really putting their foot down about pluralistic changes and the move in this country that's about 98, 99% Muslim that had its first Christian governor, Chinese governor in Jakarta. And in 212, the number 212 had significance on December 2nd. It denoted a specific mass protest last year in 2016 where hundreds of thousands of Muslims marched against the Christian governor of Jakarta, Ako, Ahok, I'm sorry. And he had been arrested. Now, initially, there were allegations about simple speech he had made in which he told Muslims that the controversial passage in chapter 5, Surah Al-Ma'idah, which is the chapter of the table that has a lot of different what are considered some of the ripe passages that are used to indoctrinate anti-Semitism, anti-Westernism. And in verse 55, he made the statement in in an attempt to, to be interfaith and to be tolerant. He said, he made the statement at the time, and we talked about this on my podcast a, a few months ago. He made the statement that it doesn't mean that you can't have Jews and Christians as your leader. It doesn't mean that you should treat them in an inferior way. And that passage basically said, and it says that, O you who have attained the faith, do not take the Jews and the Christians for your allies. Now, that word allies is awliya. Reformists often will tell you that it means legal sponsors in a Sharia court. But most translations, obviously, across the planet use words friends. Do not take Jews and Christians as your friends. And others say allies. And some of the Islamists say leaders. They are but allies of one another, and whoever of your allies, whoever of you allies himself with them becomes verily one of them. Behold, God does not guide such evildoers. So that is a more fundamentalist translation of it. A hook tried to translate it, interpret it more moderately. There were riots, there were rallies, demonstrations, and then he was arrested for blasphemy, declaring him a blasphemer against Islam because he was interpreting the Quran so moderately it was perceived to be blasphemy. And then on February 21st this year, there was a second march with similar aims held to again with hundreds of thousands that gathered to reinforce the fact that that passage is about not taking them as leaders. That passage was to condemn a hook for his leadership and that he should not have been elected. Now, this is not to make it seem that Indonesia is as radical as Saudi Arabia or Iran, for after all, a hook was elected. But it has had some setbacks. 
there has been some struggle for the moderates to maintain control on the Islamists often when they have 20-30% can be quite, quite influential because of the vigilantism, because of the impunity that they get even in courts. The court here arrested this governor because of its fear of the Islamists and the government did not do much. So, whichever way you translate this, this Marvel comic all of a sudden had a scene drawn by this RDNCF in which a scene of X-Men Gold number one was drawn by this artist, published last week, a comic book character, Kitty Pride, who is thought to be Jewish. And she was addressing the, the crowd. And you zoom into the crowd that's listening to Kitty Pride. She was talking about being the new leader of the X-Men. And the X-Men, as you know, was created by Jewish characters, Jewish creators, I'm sorry, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and a comic written by Mark Guggenheim, also raised Jewish. And then later, in that scene, is a comic that has on the wall written 212. 212. And on the jerseys of some of those in the field, watching and, and listening to Kitty Pride, is the number 51. And there's another scene in which the Colossus shirt, we see the letters QS 5 colon 51, referring to that verse that you should not take Jews and Christians as leaders or allies. Quran Surah QS 551. That is the subliminal message. Colossus was playing alongside the Christian character Kurt Wagner, Nightcrawler. So this gets posted. Ardian, the artist, not content enough, as never are the Islamists, to just sort of let that subliminal message pass. And you know, Marvel has had its issues with subliminal messages with, oh, hidden history of a hidden phallic symbol in one of its comics, history of uh, the hidden word sex, and other things that have been found. But then Ardian posts this original art to his first, first on his Facebook page to his Indonesian followers. In which he said, this is amazing. Take a look at what I share with you. Some of his readers actually objected. And said that it was sensationalist. He had already had a history of hiding Indonesian political characters in the background. In an issue of Batgirl, he featured a mention of the president of Indonesia, Joko Widodo, popularly known as Jokowi, previous governor of Jakarta. And you can see in some of the images that picture. And now the whole world knows that this artist, 
took it upon himself to make a statement that verse 551 to the Islamists mean that they will not take Jews and Christians as their leaders. That leader of the X-Men was a woman who was Jewish. That Colossus and his friend were Christian, yet wearing the Quranic verse 551. So on and on the message here is about the Jakartan governor who is Christian, about the governor who was arrested for blasphemy, about that verse, about the Islamist interpretation of it, using subliminal to some and non-subliminal direct to the Islamists who will see it and feel vindicated that a Western company, Marvel, was exploited to get an Islamist message out. In the past, some of the Marvel comic artists that have been exposed were fired. What will happen to this man? Will Marvel bend and be flexible because of their fear of radical Islamists? What will be their response? When we come back, let's talk about what the response was and what it should be on Reform This with Zudi Jasser. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to a, another segment of Reform This. We're talking about this interface of culture, Islamism, and the exploitation of Marvel Comics by one of its artists. What will happen to him? It was certainly noticed that the latest episode of X-Men Gold Number 1 by our DNCF, the artist who was just supposed to take the content and draw it. And draw it. And he put in his own little messages to the Islamists, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, that were part of the Indonesian protestations against Governor Ahok. What will happen? Well, we asked, I asked you, what was going to be the response of Marvel? Would it be something strong or would it be weak? Would it be appeasement to the Islamists that threaten through their numbers and through their violence to conform others to what they do? Because remember, the opposite, when the shoe is on the opposite foot... Back in 2008, I weighed in on a controversy of a game at the time called Little Big Planet that was a PlayStation game by Sony in which there was a Quranic verse that had been put in either accidentally or intentionally by one of the writers who actually was Muslim. And it ended up offending people because there was shooting and other things in the game. It was felt to be 
deprecating to the Quranic passage. So Sony pulled the game, removed it from the song that was in the game, and apologized. And I said, you know, listen, this is at the time, and it was interesting, uh, you know, for all the work that we do in getting the message out against Islamism, my quotes of protest about the weakness of Sony, I think got some of the most hits and and uh, publication of anything I've done just because of the traffic that some of the video gaming industry gets. Uh, but I was interviewed and I said, you know, listen, freedom and free speech should not, because somebody uses a quotation from scripture, should not be something that, this is not something significantly offensive, and yet they pulled it because they were afraid of a backlash from radical Islamists. And that was not what Sony should have done. Now Marvel so far, with this controversy being fresh, ran a statement. And in that statement they said, The mentioned artwork in X-Men Gold Number 1 was inserted without knowledge behind its reported meanings. These implied references do not reflect the views of the writers, the editors, or anyone else at Marvel and are in direct opposition of the inclusiveness of Marvel Comics and what the X-Men have stood for since their creation. This artwork will be removed from subsequent printings, digital versions and trade paperbacks, and disciplinary action is being taken. It notes that there was no apology there. And, you know, I don't know if they need to apologize. It wasn't their fault. It's this guy's fault. Now they're talking about disciplinary action. I hope that includes firing this individual. This is not about his free speech. It was subliminally put into the speech, the art, the storyline of a story that he didn't write. Inserting messages and thus a narrative that didn't exist that he exploited. So no doubt he should be fired. Does that compare to the appeasement of Islamists by Little Big Planet? If he's not fired, I think it does. I think many of you would agree. All you reformers out there, I think many of you would agree that if he's appeased and just slapped on the wrist, it would be the same as being worried that Islamists will burn the houses down because of a scripture on a game or in a song. And we've seen many in the art industry who, and we've seen some of the singers uh, who have been found to show scripture on things and then they have to apologize. The, the Council on American Islamic Relations is constantly doing their ambulance chasing, looking for a Nike symbol that looks like Allah or a other cultural symbol that that ridicules things that are felt to be religiously sacred and yet one of the prices of democracy and liberty is the christian community and the jewish community and others see things done to their crosses done to their religious symbols that are just unthinkable to the devout but there's no reaction of violence there's no reaction of intimidation we've seen books that were due to be published by major publishers that were then pulled because of fear of what it says about the Prophet Muhammad. 
this is not a way to reform Islam. If you want to treat Muslims with no bigotry, with equality, then hold them to the same standards as you do everyone else. If a conservative Christian were to put in pro-life messages into a cartoon, what do you think would happen to that Christian if he worked for an American company that was a leftist liberal company? I think he might be fired because it was not his role to exploit his boss's medium for his own political messaging. So this isn't about free speech. It's about respecting a company for which you work and a team which comes up with a storyline that you're supposed to produce. And the bigger picture is what's happening in Indonesia. The hundreds of thousands rallying. What is the contravailing message? This is now starting to bleed into pop culture. The fate of this Christian governor is so important. I visited Indonesia when I sat on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom until last year. And Indonesia, for all of its positivity, many of the reform groups of the feminist groups and others have said, please, we are not as moderate as you think. We are headed in the wrong direction. Yes, our constitution separates mosque and state. But there are Islamist movements, Hizb tahrir and other types of caliphate movements that are having increasing impact in places like Aceh where there's Sharia courts that basically invoke within those regions blasphemy and apostasy laws. And then when the courts have other rulings otherwise, they're not enforced because of problems of impunity. Areas in which women are treated not only as second and third class citizens, we still see some condoning a practice of FGM and others. So they have a lot of place, a lot of room for growth. And yet, on the very low standards of various Muslim countries, Indonesia was leading that. And since presidents like Abdurrahman Wahid, who truly was a reformer, whose book The Illusion of the Islamic State really made an unbelievable statement with its writers about the need to have a state of Islam in your heart, but no need for an Islamic state in government. A, man a mantra that we have talked about here on my program. But the fate of this governor now epitomizes, encapsulates the problems that Indonesia is deteriorating into. Our DNCF, the Marvel comic artist, we'll see if he gets fired, if he maintains his job, but his exploitation of a comic looked at by millions in order to get a message of the Islamists across and then publicizing on his Facebook page trying to get attention that he's with the demonstration and how he wrote that and added it in when he was fired up after the February 21st second demonstration for the 212, which was the December 2nd rally against that judge for his arrest. The sad thing, if you look at statistics, and again, you and I talked about this in the previous episode, 
something like 47, 48% of Indonesians believe that judge should be convicted and imprisoned. Not the judge, the mayor, the governor should be convicted and imprisoned for blasphemy. The good news is that it's not a majority. The bad news is it's pretty darn close. Is it hopeless? Well, the good news is that there's been very little attempt from the West to try to work with the allies of secularism and liberty against theocracy. The theocrats that have been spreading from Qatar and Saudi Arabia and transforming societies like Indonesia to the worse have been unabated, have been left without a counter-message. There will be more artists like RDNCF in the future. There will be more employees of Marvel, of Facebook, of Twitter, of movie writers, of Hollywood, Bollywood, and others who will try to insert Islamist messages and then brag about it on social media. It's time for the liberty reformers to start to have our subliminal messages, not coercively, but with the endorsement of our bosses, into cartoons that empower Muslims to defeat and destroy theocracy and theocrats. To create heroes that are Muslim, but reject, reject Islamic republics, Sharia, and endorse and lift up on their shoulders the governors who are Christian in Muslim-majority lands and give them equality. Remember this the week with this Marvel comic, we also saw the bombing of two churches in Alexandria, Egypt, on Palm Sunday by ISIS. There is a genocide happening in Egypt and in Iraq and Syria against minorities like Christians and Yazidis. Jews and others who are non-Islamist. And this religious war will grow and we need to confront it and empower reformers. This is Zudi Jasser on Reformed This and I'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss... As a Canadian sports celebrity, a lot of people come to me for Canadian sports updates. Does that ever get tiresome? Might be a little inconvenient for me, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know how important, what a moment that must be for them. Their life is probably this disgusting Mm -hmm. mess, the filthy peasants, and then they get to come and talk to someone like me. For you to condescend to their level One bright moment in their otherwise awful It's above and beyond. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You know, last week, on the same day of the attack, or a day or or so later in that same week, of uh, the retaliation and the punishment of the Assad regime for their use of chemical weapons in Idlib, 
And as the Trump administration launched 57 Tomahawk missiles, a day later, an Uzbek immigrant, a father of four from Uzbekistan, by the name of Rahmat Akalov, 39 years old, committed an act of ISIS-related terrorism in Stockholm, Sweden. He drove his lorry, his truck, into a mall, trying to kill as many as possible in what has become an all-too-common-now episode of vehicular jihad. He killed four, injured dozens of others, and was taken into police custody. He claims, he claimed this week in a Stockholm court that the order to carry out the attack came directly from ISIS in Syria. And this was confirmed by Swedish intelligence, Aftenbladet. Now, what's interesting is that he has confessed to the commission of his act of terrorism and his attorney has confessed for him claiming that this was a planned act committed by Mr. Akalov. Now, if this doesn't tell you that we're in war, I don't know what does. ISIS took credit immediately, almost immediately for the act, also corroborating the fact that they planned this. Akalov's lawyer Erickson said that my client has confessed and that he's responsible for these allegations. This militant, this jihadist, was known to have shown interest in jihadist organizations, according to the Mail Online. And he had um, basically admitted to the commission of the act. But what's more interesting is that this guy was seeking asylum in 2014 under the false name of Rahmatkon Korbanov, reported by another newspaper. And he said in court that he was trying to obtain revenge for the bombings done by the United States in Syria. So I bring this to your attention, not only that we had yet, yet another attack, that yes, our acts in Syria are to defend our homeland and the West from attacks. But the fascinating thing is that now you can see why the Assad regime would not attack ISIS. Now you can see why it's the moderate rebels, the revolution, the, the, uh, um, those who threatened the regime the most. Because even when the Assad regime is attacked and loses 20% of its air force's assets. General Mattis reported this week that 20 in those simply 57 tomahawks upwards of 20% of their assets were lost. So an ISIS operative in Stockholm, Sweden then commits an act of terror under the direction of ISIS and in his blithering nonsense about why he did this, he claims it was because of western intervention in Syria. So this goes to show you what the utility is 
for regimes like the Assad regime or the Saudis or others when they radicalize, when they allow the radicalization and the spread of radical groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS and why those are the last groups, even though they may be after their regimes to try to end them and topple them, they're the last groups they go after because their message is anti-Western, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, anti-freedom. And their message will then spread to those who will do their bidding on their behalf. And this guy then admitted this week that he did this to stop the American attacks. He didn't say against the Assad regime, but against Syria, against Syrians, basically using the Assad talking points. So for those of you who believe that Assad would make it safer for Christians, that Assad would make it safer as a quote-unquote secular ruler, think again. He's a Shia jihadist, an Alawite sect of the Shia jihadist, works closely hand-in-glove with the Hezbollah terrorists, with the Iranian terror sponsor regime, which has 10, 20, 30, 40,000 troops in Syria. So there's no doubt that in this other, another act of horrific terror that happened in Stockholm, Sweden, a country, by the way, which President Trump was criticized for talking about how much of a problem they had, which has one of the highest per capita radicalization rates in Europe, and that was criticized when, in fact, that comes not from an American conservative news agency, but from a European counterterrorism think tank. But every country in the West has its elements of radicalization because we are not confronting the ideology of political Islam. We are not countering violent Islamism. And violent Islamism will act against us in Stockholm, in London, in Chattanooga, and in San Bernardino as long as we continue to allow their havens to grow in Syria and Iraq, to allow their dictators to use ruthless means by which to fuel radicalization and smother moderate voices. Because remember, even the LCCs of the world, who've not gotten to the depths of depravity of Assad, but uses ruthless, tyrannical repression in which to suppress free speech, still endorses blasphemy laws, still there's word, for example, that recently it has been revealed that possibly the Egyptians had been tipped off and knew about the militants that committed the acts against those churches last week. There's no conclusive evidence yet, but we still need to look at that. And as we see repeatedly, this cycle of radicalization fueled by ideology, fueled by dictators that are corporate Islamists that then fuel grassroots movements and then claim that they're with us in the war against militant radicalization when in fact they are Islamists who just try to control it. The next issue I think that's important to talk about is what happened in Egypt on Palm Sunday, it is clearly, clearly should be telling that the, the front line, the most vulnerable, the weakest 
in the Middle East right now are the minorities, Christian minorities, and that they will constantly be used in which the Islamists will use them to make an example of them that this is a religious war. And it sure is a religious war, a battle, not only within the House of Islam against Islamist theocrats, but also between Islamists and every other faith community that they choose to declare war on, be it the Jews, Christians, and others. And this weekend on Palm Sunday, as our Christian brothers and sisters were celebrating and beginning to commemorate their Easter holiday, in a symbolic way that really defines one of the primary differences between Islam and Christianity is the position of Jesus. It is no surprise that the Islamists of Egypt, adherents to ISIS, which is a sister group to the Muslim Brotherhood, would again use this as an occasion in which to attack and commit acts of war and terrorism against the Christian community. And the two bombs went off in two of the churches, killing up to 44, I believe, and injuring hundreds of others. This is very telling. And I think, you know, you look back at the labeling of this as genocide. When we come back, I want to talk about the genocide against Christians, why it took so long for the Obama administration to actually declare it as such? And what can we learn from the war against Christians in Egypt and across the Middle East by ISIS and other radical groups? This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. We're talking about genocide. We're talking about the explicit targeting of a specific identifiable group, either by race, by national origin, or by faith for extermination and removal from a particular country or region. There's no doubt that ISIS, what it perpetrated against Christians in Raqqa and Syria and in Iraq, was a genocide. Did Secretary Kerry declare that? No. He finally did. But a week after Congress passed an overwhelming resolution declaring and demanding that the Obama administration declare it a genocide. And there's no clearer definition of that. And Samantha Power, the previous feckless ambassador to the UN, who literally wrote the book on genocide, 
never called for that to be declared that. And in fact, just like her boss, Secretary Kerry, needed the Congress to demand that it be declared such, and then sure enough, they did do that. And as many have written more articulate than myself, there's a lot that comes from that word. A lot to be learned and a lot of imprimatur that comes with policies and statements and actions that can then be taken by the world community, which are done by and in response to the horrific actions of ISIS. Now, as I've said, in Syria, I believe there's a genocidal sandwich happening. The original genocide in Syria now is the genocide being committed by the Shia jihadists, the Alawite jihadists of the Assad regime against the Sunnis. The rebellion initially, the revolution, was a, was a diverse revolution of Sunnis, Christians, Druze, Alawites, and others who, blind to faith, rose up against the national fascist Ba'athist party, socialist party of Assad and the Assad regime of the father and the son. A revolution brewing for over 50 years. And for those who think that they protected minorities, perhaps, but the minorities that were protected were the only ones that were, did not say anything against the Ba'ath fascism, the Ba'ath fascist socialism. So, yeah, as long as you were a political party adherent, you were left alone. But Christians, Jews, others, ask the Jewish community in Syria what kind of religious freedom they had. When my grandfather was in Aleppo, there were large neighborhoods of thriving Jewish communities. Now there's virtually none. And that was long before the revolution that the Jewish community vanished. Because the Arabism of Assad, the Shia jihadism of the Assad regime is not a tolerant jihadism. The Syrian troops being killed by the revolution are being called martyrs by Assad and his regime. Shia martyrs because this is a jihadist regime that for long has used the false veneer of Ba'athism in which to claim that it protects minorities and did so on some occasion as symbolic propagandist mechanisms by which to make it appear that they protected Christians. And next to ISIS, there's no doubt that Christians probably fare better, obviously, under a Ba'athist regime than under ISIS. But this is the lesser of evils, like comparing the seventh basement level of Dante's Inferno versus the sixth. <laughs> They're both levels of evil that are indescribable. So, to say that the war against the Sunnis was not a genocide, I think, is also false, and it saddens me. Yes, I'm obviously Sunni, and I have family and, and others that I know personally that have been targeted and some killed and have been victims of this war, this moral war against the Ba'athists and against ISIS and radicalization in Syria for freedom, for liberty, not just against, but what they're for.
But nonetheless, this week, we must make it clear that the Egyptian Christian community is on the front line, and they certainly have had it a lot better lately under El Sisi than they did under the Brotherhood. But as I've said before on this program, one year of the Muslim Brotherhood running government in Egypt did more to destroy the Islamist ideas from their popularity in Egypt than 60 years of Nasser Sadat or Mubarak's regimes. Because they realize that when these Islamists get into power, it's not a fairy tale about Islamic resurgence. It is a reality of Islamist tyranny, of misogyny, of anti-Semitism and anti-Christian genocide. And ISIS has now tapped into the LCC narrative, and LCC now has made, has called for a three-month military rule in which he set aside whatever free speech they had and called for a public change in, in whatever was uh, their status at the times. And I say whatever because, you know, listen, I understand that the current state of affairs across most of the Muslim countries and the Egyptian and Syrian and Saudi dictatorships is that they're trying to fend off rising radicalization. But this is a beast that they've fed, that they've created and this switch back and forth between dictatorship and Islamists as picking only one of two, as if there's only a binary choice, is going to continue in this cycle of tyranny unless we begin to look at third pathways. That's not going to happen overnight. But to somehow excuse the tyranny of the Egyptian dictatorship as a solution to the acts, the genocidal acts of ISIS, is to miss what was the dreams and the aspirations of the 10 million that went to the streets in Cairo to oust the Brotherhood. That should have led to another set of elections, that should have led to another, not immediate elections, but possibly a process of democratization through leading towards elections in a process, but not another coup, which then allowed basically Mubarak 2.0 to take over and somehow stability being seen as an illusion, and I say illusion because dictatorship and tyranny in the hands of a military dictatorship like the NDP, the National Democratic Party of Egypt, is not stability. So as we look at a strategy, we're still waiting to see what the Trump doctrine will be. But as these countries start to look for a future, as these countries start to look for a process Suppressing free speech and dissent is not going to be a method by which they counter-radicalize. The deep state in Egypt, which is really the deep state that controls a third of the Egyptian economy separate from any other mechanism in Egypt, has no checks and balances and will continue to rule ruthlessly. And yes, the, the killings by ISIS need to stop and ISIS needs to be decimated, first and foremost, priority number one. But once they are, then what happens? Yes, the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood should be declared a terror organization because its motto is a terrorist motto. 
But then what? Then there needs to be a strategy. And that strategy, I hope, is not just al-Sisi going and giving rhetorical speeches to al-Azhar, in which he calls for an end to the violence interpretations of Islam by the imams, which is true, that needs to end. But what is he for? He needs to call for them to declare that a secular state that separates mosque and state that is for liberty, secular democracy, liberal democracy, as we see the Tunisians evolving through, as we see many scholars from Fatima Mornisi to Al-Ashmawi, an old Egyptian judge that wrote a book called Islamic Extremism that talks about the need to separate mosque and state. These are figures that I think would start to demonstrate whether these dictators truly mean what they say. And it's not a surprise that he did not use terms like freedom, democracy, and liberty when talking about the regimes and the modernization and counter-radicalization that needs to happen. So I think if you're truly going to honor the lives that were lost and attacked by ISIS and, and truly not want this to keep happening over and over again, what I learned in America as an American is the solution, which is freedom and liberty. And that you counter bad ideas with good ideas. My prayers, my blessings are with the Christian community in their holiday this week. Not only from Palm Sunday, but through Easter. And may the war against minorities in the Middle East end and across the world. And may Islamism, the root cause theocratic Islam be defeated and removed as a scourge on the planet that continues to threaten moderate Muslim voices, secular voices, the Jewish community, the Christian community, the Yazidis, the Baha'is, and all minority communities across the planet that are attacked, and some genocidally so, by radical Islamists. God bless you all. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.